But in my opinion, I, I want you to win. Mm-hmm. And I also want you to want me to win. Right. And in order to get other people to want you to win, you have to give that love. Like, you just have to, even if they're not giving it back. This is The Maker's Moment, a weekly podcast where we hold space for creativity. We share our stories so we can learn from each other and use our experiences to challenge our often limiting beliefs. My name is Lee Schultes, and I know that in every person there's an artist waiting to be rediscovered. We are here for makers in all of their moments. We know that it takes a healthy dose of community and a lot of play to get and stay creative. Today's episode is just refreshing. I had a blast sitting down with Brittany of Two T's Creative. She is a self-proclaimed extrovert who believes that connection is currency. Brittany clearly defines her own success. She understands that it can be tempting to undervalue yourself as a new maker, but she takes time to intentionally hone in on her brand. She knows how she operates and she also knows how to effectively work with that. Brittany supports her inner child. She plays and she has so much fun with what she's doing. She understands the value of support and building a community and I cannot wait for you to listen to everything she has to say today. I think I first met you several years ago. Yeah. I met you at a winter market, but it was, I think, a holiday market at the Big Barn in Fairview. And I don't know if that's even accurate. I was like, there's this girl making bookmarks. And I know it was your teacups. When did you get started? How did you get started? Yeah, I have been doing this about a year and a half. So two winters ago, sounds right. Was that the market that was super windy? Yes. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It was so windy. I'm really good with faces. So when you said, hey, to me, the big barn, I was like, oh, I know I know her face, but I can't Mm -hmm. put her with anything. Yeah. So it's been almost two years. In June, July of 24, it'll be two full years. Congratulations. Did you start with bookmarks? I remember. I remember there being a lot of books and I remember only bookmarks. bookmarks. Okay. Just bookmarks. That was all I did. It was watercolor bookmarks. And my first event was a beauty boost event. And I had one tiny little table with like a two tier little organizer thing with my bookmarks there and then laying on the table. And I ever since then, I've regularly done markets. I was doing it for a little while. I think I started creating in March of 22. So July was my first official market. That's amazing. So you're relatively new in this space. What was it about creating and bringing things to a market that was different for you? Why was the beauty (laughs) boost interesting to you? Or why was going to a market and presenting your work different? Like, why was that important? So the beauty boost specifically, probably kudos to Rachel and what everything she puts together is probably why I do markets. I went to a fitness sampler in the end of 21 and (laughs) it makes me laugh because I came home and it was the simplest thing I kept talking about. I just came home and was like, everybody was so nice. Oh my God. I, I just had so many great conversations. Everybody was so nice. And I don't even think I bought anything. Like I didn't spend money with anybody. I was so broke. And so when I started creating that following, you know, spring, summer, I was like, well, if I'm going to try it and see how it goes, I'm going to do it with this community because I already know that people are fantastic and I love them. And so that's, that was what got me into it. And for me, and it's something that I still say a year and a half later, and it hasn't been that long, but For a year and a half, I've been saying that connection is currency. Even when I don't make money at a market, for me, if I've had five fantastic conversations, I've gained two new followers, that's super important for me. Like that's fueling my next market. That's getting me through the creation process. How do you get the 
feel of a culture of a market if you haven't done it before, for example? Yeah. So for me, because connection is currency, when somebody else suggests a space for me, if it's somebody I'm close to, I'm definitely going to take some weight in that. It's important for me that this person said, this is a good space for me. So I will likely try it. There have been some markets that for me, it's not that there was anything wrong with them. Just the vibe didn't fit with me. And so I move to different spaces. My friend Nicole, yeah. she makes stickers. And have you ever seen the have a nice day where it's like the wavy on the side of the shopping uh-huh. bag? She made one that says the vibes are off. <laughs> it says it like 10 times. I'm like, I want that darn sticker. Yes. So you said you just started creating in March. Have you always been creative? Has artistry been a part of your life longer than the last year and a half or two years? Um, I laugh at this question because if you would have asked me three years ago if I was creative, I would have been like, I don't have a creative bone in my body. Um, And now that I create regularly, I look back and I've always been creative. I was in some pretty painful spaces, though, in the past that I never saw it. But when I was in college, I was an education major. And so I actually had a professor hang one of my projects on his door for two years because it was so creative because I thought out of the box and I've always been like that like if a project if I can't take a project and make it I don't know extra really then (laughs) I don't want it so speaking of extra I love your skulls I don't know where they are but you did this coffin glitter I'm loving how your brand is really growing and developing and I want to get to how all of that started but something you've been vocal about is coaching and how you I believe you have a coach now or at least a social media coach or are you in any kind of coaching programs not formally I definitely ask other people what works and you know experience stations again at the beauty booth I'm probably going to shout her out 10,000 times (laughs) um I've talked to them. I hate social media. I'm big on it because it's, I feel like it's the forefront of our lives, but I hate it. And so I definitely take other people's advice pretty strongly when it comes to that. I wish it didn't have to be such a big part of my business, but unfortunately it does. Mm -hmm. I think it goes back to connection and community for me. It's just like putting the the right people around you and being willing to share that with others too. I think sometimes in the makerspace, and I think I heard this on another episode, people want to gatekeep for some reason. And I, I tend to see that and keep myself out of it because for me, if, if it's working and I know it's working, why wouldn't I share that with somebody? Why wouldn't I want them to have success in that area? Exactly. And having a business or having a creative space built off of gratitude. I truly believe that anything you do, if gratitude is the foundation, and then you're going to have that abundance come afterward. And so that definitely falls into that scarcity versus abundance mindset. I think I've seen you talk about stuff like that before, at least in some posts about just focusing on what you have. What is it that got you started? What, What first showed you that you're creative? What was that first project or that first shift where you said, wow, I can really do this. Yeah, I was in a difficult job, probably one of the most rewarding that I've ever had. And I was a site director for group homes and I was working a shift and we were playing with watercolors and we were playing with a dollar store watercolors on dollar store paper. And I started writing affirmations with my residents and then I framed them and I put them in the break room for my staff to enjoy solely because they were affirmations, not because they were pretty. (laughs) And (laughs) when I came home, it's like, I really like watercolor. So I bought some cheap watercolor and was just like, this is kind of nice. And I have ADHD. I don't know if it's formally 
I don't know that it's formally that I have that diagnosis, but I came home and I sat down with watercolor a couple times. And then one day I sat down and I didn't move for five hours. <laughs> for five hours, I just painted and I messed with like brush strokes and color mixing and all this stuff. And I'm not formally trained in watercolor and I'll never claim to be. I certainly don't think I'm fantastic at it, but I love it. There was just something about sitting down and painting that had a grab on me. So as I played with watercolors, I started to create small things because again, ADHD, and I cannot sit for long periods of time if I don't feel called to. And so I was making small projects and then I was like, oh, I like to read. I'm going to make some bookmarks. And I made like 20 of them. I was like, what am I going to do with these? <laughs> it's a lot of books to read. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so that's the short end of that. But what got me to hold on to it. So my brother died in January of 22. In theory, yes, I started painting with watercolors because I sat down with them and it felt good at work in March. But really, in three months after my brother's death, I got back into therapy. My therapist told me I probably had ADHD. And I sat down with those watercolors. And it was really the first thing that felt good in three months. And then I realized I sat still and I was like, wow, that's therapeutic. And then affirmations felt like the right thing to use because I was grieving and I was struggling with emotions. And I know that the best way to heal for me, I can't speak for everybody, is to make somebody else feel better or to heal them for even for a moment. And so that was why I stuck with affirmations. So when I officially went to markets, all of my bookmarks were affirmations. Thank you for sharing that. Do you have a certain affirmation, maybe from that first moment or from one of those hard moments? Was there a particular piece that really stuck out to you? One of the affirmations that I used a lot was, it doesn't have to be perfect to be wonderful, but I have an entire list and it grows constantly that I use. And sometimes I'll use the same affirmation for three months on bookmarks. And then sometimes I use a different one on every single bookmark. It it varies. And maybe it's just what I need in that moment. How do you find them? Pinterest. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Pinterest. I, I've had affirmation cards that people have gifted me that I've used. I had like an affirmation oracle deck that I use, stuff like that. And then sometimes I change them. So we all know the phrase, uh, she believes she could, so she did. And I actually had somebody pick a random affirmation card for me at a market so I could make the bookmark. And it was, she believes she could, so she did. And so when I wrote the bookmark, I was actually wrote, um, she believes she could, and it was messy, but damn it, she did it. <laughs> and that's one of my favorites. I got goosebumps with yeah. that. I love it. <laughs> Why books? I've often wondered this. So I'm a huge book nerd. And so I am so weird. Like I never quite finish with a book or mm -hmm. it feels like it's strange. I get this weird emotional attachment to books. And so the idea of cutting them up into like circles, like that beautiful garland, but it kind of stresses me out a little bit. So what is it that led you to use books as a medium? I think it's really cool. I love it's this fun. question. Yeah. I love this question. So I didn't want to cut books up. And so that's why for a year and a half, I haven't. My dad moved down here last October and he lives with us now. And he had some books that he, my dad will throw anything away and it stresses me out. <laughs> I, I probably get that from him, but I'm like, donate it, give it to someone in need. Like, please don't throw that away. Um, and I'm bad to donate like my entire life and start fresh once a year for some reason. But he had this 
bin of books that he had left in his the back of his truck. They got water damage, whatever. He was going to throw them out. And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> I tried to save them. There was no saving them. They were beyond saving. So I was like, well, I need to use these for something because I feel bad that they died in your care. And <laughs> so I started to cut them up. And I was like, oh, bookmarks with books. Cool, right? And then I was like, um, earrings with books because I make jewelry and a lot of people in Asheville make jewelry but my stuff is different and I wanted to keep it that way and as I hone in on my brand that was something that was super important to me was keeping it that way so I started to save books that couldn't be used can people donate books to you I have a bunch of books I'm like not willing to let go of absolutely books I'm like, they've been rejected by six different half price books places, you know, Mr. K's. They're not cool enough for Mr. K's, I guess. But I'm and I'm finished with them and I love them, but no one wants them. Oh, no. Yeah. So I have books for you if you want. Absolutely. Um, I love donations. I hear that you really like repurposing things. You like bringing things new light. And I don't even know how you do half the things you do. That pair of earrings that I have, they're almost like a goldy, a I don't know if you remember the mm-hmm. pair, but they're they're goldish and they're books, but they look brushed. They don't look like how what is your process like? Because yeah. I've seen a lot of different experimentation techniques that you've used. What do you do? Like you just sit down and then what? I'm excited to talk about this because I actually just changed my system recently and I was like, oh, I'm going to have to tell her about this. <laughs> so when I first started doing the book page earrings, I was, I sometimes pre-cut the watercolor paper into bookmark sizes so that I can do individual ones. And sometimes I make sheets where it's all the same pattern and then I cut them out. But when I first started doing the book pages, I pre-cut the bookmarks, pre-cut them like they were bookmarks. And then I tore the book pages up and I put the adhesive down and I put them all on like the bookmark and then I'd cut the shapes out of the bookmark. Well, I recently was like, why am I doing this when I could just do an entire sheet? And then when I did that entire sheet, it took me a little bit longer because it's a lot more ground to cover. But when I did it, I then did the math on like how many pairs of earrings I was going to get from that sheet. And I was like, I'm going to make more money this way. And I think as makers, one of the things, especially new makers, one of the things that we do is we undervalue ourselves and we tend to, well, if I can do it faster, then I, I, I shouldn't be charging them like more or the same amount. No, you absolutely should because you're getting better at your craft. And actually, Amy at Offset Clarity told me that. She said, who cares if you can do it faster or better than you used to? You're worth it and you've put the work in and you've earned it. Just like when you've put the work in at a job, you should get a raise. It's the same thing. And so... I did the math and I was like, oh, I could make a lot more from this one sheet than I was making doing them the way I was doing them before. And me a year ago would have panicked and been like, I can't charge what I charge for them. But screw that. (laughs) You talk about undervaluing yourself as an artist and as a maker. Mm -hmm. And I really want to lean into that a little bit. What is your experience with undervaluing yourself? I've done it my whole life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this isn't a therapy session, but honestly, yeah. So I've I've undervalued myself my whole life. My parents got divorced when I was young and I don't need to go into all of the steps, but I spent a lot of time like wondering if I was good enough or wondering if I was this enough or that enough and often being too much for a lot of spaces. And I've really leaned into that with this. And I think as a new maker, it's especially important to understand that just because you're new doesn't mean you're not worth it and so I've had my moments and I will continue to have my moments of imposter syndrome and you know it's 
kind of a breath of fresh air to listen to the makers moment and hear other makers who have been doing it twice as long or three times as long as I have and they say the same thing. I will always have my moments but I'm always going to come back to it takes me a lot of time and effort and it is a job. It's a job I like to do. It's a job I enjoy but at the end of the day it's still time and effort that I've put into it. I have to value that. (laughs) I love that we're talking about this because that's something that I still have to hold myself accountable to. And I think women in particular, women in business, it's a unique little storm there where women historically have been devalued or devalue themselves um, and they put themselves in a little box almost to a sense or they've been put in a box. And then when we get into business, we kind of just like dip our toes in and we wait to see what the world tells us that we're worth. And so I love that you talk about even if your resources, you're getting more efficient with your resource and time is a resource. And a lot of people don't see it that way. They'll slave away at something for 25 hours and then charge $10 for it. So you're just becoming more efficient with your resources. And for you to be doing that a year and a half in is exciting. Mm -hmm. I mean, my whole body's like energized and gets excited about it because I love new quote makers who come in and they're ready to just grab the bull by the horns, be aggressive for lack of a better term, and really start to just run with it. Mm-hmm. And I almost enjoy competition. I talk a lot about, oh, collaboration over competition mm-hmm. is important. You know, the people at the top collaborate, the people at the bottom compete, but that's almost in like a negative competition mindset. I love some healthy competition. If there were five bead workers at any given market, I would be a happy girl because what a good test for your product. And so I love to hear that. Being a new maker, what is that like for you? What was your perspective coming into that space? There are a ton of jewelry makers specifically I'm sure you've seen that I don't ever mind to be next to another jewelry maker because I am confident that my stuff is not like theirs I don't think any maker should go into a market feeling like they don't want to be there with another maker of similar in type With that said, though, there are some markets that I choose not to participate in. And it's, again, not bad blood, but I've I've gotten a lot of feedback like, oh, we have too many jewelry makers. Oh, nope. Sorry, you missed the cut on this one because you make jewelry. And I feel like my product is different enough that I could, if I was given the feedback, I could set up my table differently so that it wasn't focused on jewelry. Jewelry is fun and everybody loves it. So of course it ends up being the majority of the product that I have there, but I could easily adapt. And even though I've shared shared that with several market coordinators, it's not usually well received. And so that can be deflating. That's honestly why I got into candles. If we want a full transparency moment, someone told me we're full on jewelry and the next words out of my mouth, I don't know why or how with no breath were, oh, that's fine. I make candles. I don't know where it came from. (laughs) (laughs) And I had three weeks to come up with candles that I was proud of. Otherwise, I was going to cancel this market Mm -hmm. that I paid for. What is it that made you go from bookmarks to jewelry? So Nikki with A Natural Path, sent me a video of watercolor jewelry forever ago. And to be honest with you, I really, I really appreciated it. I loved it. But I watched the video and the video itself was very like budget looking. I hate saying that, but it's true. And so I I was like, oh, that's a great concept. And I like let it leave my brain. And it just sat in our you know, conversation for a while. And Nikki runs, she coordinates some events now. And so I was looking back in our conversation for some information about an event. And I found that video again. And I was like, why am I worried about what they made? I could make that 10 times better. And so I tried it. 
And I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. And the first couple pair I made, I look back on them now, I actually kept a pair and I'm like, oh man, I could have done so much better. But I do now. I do so much better with my watercolor jewelry and it's so much fun and it's not like anything anybody else makes and that's my favorite part. Mm -hmm. What is it that brought you from education? I'm seeing this spark in your eyes when you talk about constantly leveling up Mm -hmm. and you talk about I could do that better or I could do and then I could do that better than I did and then I'm doing better now. So Mm -hmm. improvement seems to be something that you really value. Do you find that your education background that plays into what you're doing now? Yeah. So I always joke that I don't use my degree and that I haven't for my last few roles, but I don't think that could be further from the truth. I'm constantly teaching and I had a professor say like, you were made to be a teacher. I don't want to be a teacher in a classroom setting. I don't want to be told how I'm supposed to teach somebody something. And I do feel like I'm a natural leader, but I've, yeah. So yes, I do. I feel like it flows into every part of my life. And I really feel like I had to get an education background to be able to level up myself and shift into the mindset and perspectives that I was going to need later on. Yeah, you seem really receptive to others. And I love how in the course of 25 minutes so far, you've talked about many different artists and makers that you've learned from Mm -hmm. and that it helped you, it led you to experiment. And a lot of people get, and I've been guilty of this, they get a little closed off when people give them feedback. And it's something I was naturally more, a little more on the insecure side. Whenever you get feedback, it seems to be like, okay, I'll keep it in its place maybe for a minute and then I'll come back and revisit it. And I really like how you synthesize information, how you're able to receive and then use, pick and choose what you like to make yourself better. I think that's incredible. Have you ever thought about teaching what you do? Have you, have you done I it yet? I have not. No, I mean, so I do, I do little events sometimes. Uh, Sugar and Snow Gelato in the River Arts District has invited me a few times to do some experience stations with, primarily with kids, but with some adults as well, making bookmarks. And then I bring my laminator and I laminate them and cut them out and label them for them and everything. They can pick their own colors. And a lot of people do their own thing, which I love. I went into the first one, like I have to teach all these people to do something that I'm not even confident I do well, which freaked me out. But a lot of people jump in and do their own thing, which is great. I love that. And then there are some kids who I teach like this is what wet on wet technique is. And like when you put the paint there, it disperses and kids love that. So that's fun for me, but I don't necessarily teach what I do now. Mm -hmm. And I have not necessarily thought about it outside of the experience station. If you can explain something to a five-year-old, then you know it. I truly believe this. This is something we said in sports coaching. This is something that I've seen in many different artistic disciplines where the person who teaches the kids class, Mm. the person who teaches the kids art experience, that person knows it because kids, there's not a lot of delineation. There's not a lot of overthinking. There's, oh, you told me to do this. I'm going to do it. And Mm -hmm. if if your instructions aren't spot on, it's not going to turn out. I like, I'm intrigued. I hear that (laughs) you are not confident 100% that you know what you're doing because you're in an experimentation phase. You've only been doing it for a year and a half. But I think I'm almost 102% certain (laughs) that you know a lot more than you do, which is really exciting. 
I think for me, the part of imposter syndrome that can still get me is not necessarily that I'm not formally trained because there's a lot that I do well that I'm not formally trained in. I'm currently working as a social worker and I'm not a licensed clinical social worker. So I'm, there are things that I am confident in that I'm not formally trained in. But I think the part about watercolor for me is that I really just throw paint on paper and I know that is still art. I know that painting sell for thousands of dollars where it is quite literally just paint thrown on paper. But for me, because I'm not necessarily like painting landscapes or painting houses or painting birds, I think that's the part of imposter syndrome that still kind of has a chokehold on me a little bit. Do you feel like you haven't niched down yet? No, actually, I think I've, I'm exactly where I need to be. I think I don't need to go the realistic route, but for some reason in my brain, I'm like, oh, because you can't paint a landscape, you're not good at this. I think I'm exactly where I need to be. The abstracty, like, you don't have to be perfect to be, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect to be wonderful, right? Like full circle moment that when you look at my bookmarks, a lot of them are very abstract, either shapes, they're bright colors or whatever. I do a few flowers, but then there's an affirmation and that really is the star of the show for me. And I've, I've played with stamps. I've done my own heart hand carved stamps. And I think I'm exactly where I need to be. I just second guess that like coming back to, I always want to level up, right? I think for me being at the right place, sometimes being content where I'm at is a little scary for me Mm -hmm. that stagnation that can come sometimes with like contentment and finding out that you're actually exactly where you need to be is kind of scary yeah it's that idea of am I complacent or am I figuring it out (laughs) and I wonder how many more makers are out there that feel this way the majority of people who listen to the podcast they're going to be makers they're about our age they're women right now Uh, moving forward that might change into season two what's your vision what's your goal if you were to just give me an elevator pitch, if I were like, man, Brittany, tell me about your art. I don't know you. I've never met you before. Where We have five seconds on the elevator. How would you describe it? So I don't have a vision nailed down right now, to be totally honest with you. I, don't I love know that. that I'm there yet. Right now, I am honing in on my brand. I have two little clearance bins on my table and they'll be there until that stuff is gone. There's some stuff that I made and I loved and it was so fun to make, but I'm like, Uh, this, when I'm unloading my stuff and unpacking it and and hanging it, if I can't find a place for it, it doesn't belong here. And that's where I'm at right now. Mm, I like that. I like that the in the moment, in the setup, at the market, if there's not a hook for it, because I've been in that spot before where I'm like, this doesn't really fit. I don't really know what to do with it. It doesn't go with these things. It doesn't really fit here. And that's where I found, okay, I really need to pare down. I loved making these things. I still have the molds. If a friend wants me to make it, I can do that. But, or if I want it for myself and I still own a lot of my old jewelry that I started with, but I just, it doesn't fit anymore. It was a season. It got me where I'm at and I love that, but it's just not the two T's brand. Ooh, so that would be fun because you talk a lot in your life about how you are a systematic cleanser. Like every now you said once a year, you just poof, donate it all. Yep. So that would be kind of cool if two T's then it seems like naturally in your expression, in your art, Mm -hmm. you're following that pattern as well. So that would be really cool to see like an annual release or a Mm -hmm. buy, you know, whatever, every other month or whatever of just like, hey, over that. And I really... That was one of your posts recently that did stick out with me a lot where you said, I'm going to have these clearance bins. I'm narrowing down my brand. And a lot of people don't talk about that, about how you could start with some 
and I feel I feel like a lot of artists are ADHD or have some. <laughs> you have to be. <laughs> yeah, you have to be. And so they're just like we. It's very a visionary, creative thing, but it, you can also have ten thousand ideas swirling around. And if you're trying to pursue ten thousand things, you're not going to ever get one done. Yeah, is it literally just it doesn't fit? It's a feeling, or is there, are there any ways as you when you say narrowing down your brand, what mm-hmm. does that mean? Well, it started like I said, it started with like unpacking, and it took a few markets to realize it, like hanging stuff, and I'm like moving stuff, and then throughout the market, I'm like ah. Something just doesn't feel right. And because I'm like big on this kick of don't undervalue yourself, I was dead set for a while against marking things down. I'll be honest with you. Not because I don't want to give people a deal. Not You know, I'm a deal finder myself. I love going to Goodwill and the bins to find my craft stuff, okay? Full transparency. But I was in this like don't sell yourself short. And with that... I eventually came to the realization like this stuff isn't going to move and it's not because it doesn't have value, but it is quite literally because your table is a clusterfuck. Mm -hmm. People can't find who you are here. And so I can say, hey, those bins at the end there are marked down. I'm honing in on my brand. I love everything I made in there. There's great colors. If you have questions, let me know. I still own those molds, but I'm really trying to pare down. And this is what I'm focusing on right now. And the watercolor earrings really are where I want to focus. I can do lots with them. I'm doing, you know, florals and map patterns and different just like watercolor aesthetic, like wet on wet technique and that kind of thing. And the book earrings. And I want to stay book focused and I want to remain watercolor focused. So across my brand, my long-term goal is to keep that book focus, branch out as far as that will let me go, keep the watercolor focus and find a way to mesh those two things. That sounds like a fun challenge yeah. to stay within those parameters, the rules that you've given yourself. Yeah. And that's art, right? Like anytime anyone who's ever gone to art school says you learn the rules, then you learn how to break them. And so giving yourself those clear constraints, to me, that's super exciting because I do the same thing with beadwork. I'm like, okay, you're going to use nylon and glass. Whatever that means, that means. But yep. you, if you get bored, you better figure it out. And so I like that. I'm excited to see how innovative that can get. Yeah. So I don't have a vision currently, but in terms of a mission is something that I've been trying to kind of nail down recently. And so my mission through my art, not necessarily for myself, but what I can give to others is that, and I don't know how to word this yet. So if the listeners want to give us some ideas, (laughs) I'm all in. I am, I have book focused and whimsical treasures is essentially, I want to remain in the, that verbiage somewhere. And the goal overall is to meet the book people where they're at, whatever that means, and somehow awaken your inner child. And I've got to find a way to mesh this in my elevator pitch. But that really is, I want all of my art to in some way reach reach the book, book crowd and then also find a way to touch somebody's inner child. Because for me, when my brother died, my inner child was suffering, like not just from losing her brother, but also just all of, I, I mean, we went through the same shit together growing up, right? And so... All of those painful experiences came back for me and I still don't even know if I like know what all those things are or what that means. So when I like when I created the gummy bears, I was like, oh, 
nostalgia. Somebody's inner child needs these. And so many adults buy them. I made them in like rainbow colors for Mm -hmm. a friend of mine, um, (laughs) his partner. So everybody needs their inner child awaken. And so that was something that when I started doing the resin earrings, I was like, these, I always do fun colors. I really don't do a ton of neutrals. I do some to make sure I'm meeting that crowd, but I'm not a neutral person. And so I really don't use a lot of neutral colors. So I was using, you know, purples and bright pinks and yellows and, and glitter. And so much glitter. All <laughs> of the glitter. Stories, I think I, I think I DM'd you about 10 times. I was like, the glitter. And it's <laughs> so much glitter. The Halloween stuff. If you don't like glitter, don't even think about it. There's so much glitter. Those coffins, they will blind you. Mm-hmm. They're so glittery. And I love that the whimsical nature, the playful nature of getting mm-hmm. back to that because it's infectious. I look at your work and get automatically get excited. I've been at your table before and just laughed. And how do customers respond when you talk about the bends at the end of the table and you say, hey, I'm, this is an interesting thing. It might be a scary conversation to yeah. have with people because, oh, is that going to cut me out of this sale? Are they going to think that it's less than? Yes. And as you lean more into looking forward, and giving yourself the the parameters that you've given yourself or that you want to get further along your mission what do those conversations look like because i'm i'm curious yeah so i was also afraid to be like um oh those are marked down but i am a talker so i'm always afraid i'm going to use too many words too cuz not everybody can <laughs> tolerate the like whole my elevator pitch is not an elevator pitch. Like not everybody can tolerate standing there to listen to why things are marked down. So I basically just, hey, just so you know, those bins you're looking through, they are marked, all prices marked on the back. I'm working on honing in on my brand and I try to leave it at that. If they ask questions, then we can dive into it. But I try to leave it at that so that they know I didn't mark them down because I don't value these items and that it's important for my business that I focus over here, but these items are still great too. I like how you talk about being a talker. A lot of people who are artists, I feel, are naturally empathetic, but I've seen a trend of people I've spoken with where they identify, where they identify, where they identify as introverts. Yeah. Obviously, you don't have a problem relating with people. Do you feel like you're more introverted? Do you feel like, yeah, not at all? Not an introvert at all. I'm definitely an extrovert. That's why I say I can be too much for a lot of people. I have a friend who only answers the phone if she has like the energy to handle. She she doesn't have to know what's coming, but she knows that I'm a lot of energy. Yeah, no, I'm an extrovert all the way. And I think one of the things that can set me apart from other makers sometimes at, especially markets, is that I'm going to talk to every single person that walks by every single person. And even if they don't buy something, you know, again, full circle moment, this wraps right back into connection is currency for me, because they're not going to remember me if I don't catch their attention. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people that end up buying from me are people that met me at another market. And so they're like, oh, I remember you. And I get a lot of people asking what two T's is. And which is, in fairness, a good question because my logo is two teacups that I painted forever ago and it sits on my table in a very broken picture frame because it's been lugged to 10,000 markets. I love that. Um, I just like squeeze it back together every time and set it up. (laughs) I'm like, it'll be fine. And so people tend to ask me, you know, what uh, what is two T's? And it's 
actually a nickname that a friend of mine gave me because I'm the Brittany in the friend group with two T's. And so I am two T's. Everybody in that friend group calls me two T's. Nobody calls me Brittany. Mm-hmm. But I wanted a logo that like fit with that and and was simple but still somewhat eye-catching. And so I painted that one day, sent it out to have stickers made and have had them send me the, the PNG file back. And so now that's my logo. It's so cute. I had that logo on my sewing machine for a long time. I killed my sewing machine, so it's no longer there. But I think I met you once, and you gave me a sticker, and I slapped it on my sewing machine. And every time I looked at it, I was like, so cute. I love that. Thank you. I had not actually, like, I'd met you once, and it's interesting. I do see that as something that'll set you apart, is that you're not afraid to have a conversation. You're not afraid to genuinely connect. People will not remember what you say, but they will remember how you make them feel. And you seem to be genuine and make people have fun and also feel welcome. And you're someone where even in our... the market where we recently really connected. I think we did our first trade there. Mm -hmm. And um, you're really open and willing to be vulnerable, but you do it in such a pleasant way. It's not a you know, kind of curling into yourself. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it, but you you are very open and arms out and heart forward. And that's admirable. Thank you. Yeah. At that market, I remember you came up to me and you hadn't quite started this podcast yet. And you were telling me about it. And that was the first market where somebody had heard me kind of telling my story of why I started painting um, about losing my brother and why I use affirmations, because really everything about my business has everything to do with losing him, which I don't always really realize, right? When you ask me like how I got started, the how is really simple. I painted randomly one day at work, but the why behind every item is so deeply rooted. And I, I forget about, I don't forget about that. I, it can be really easy when you're creating 10, 15 hours a week and then at a market every weekend to remember the roots sometimes because you're so involved in everything else. And then I'll get to a market and people will be like, wow, how long have you been doing this? Or, you know, the affirmations are so cute. And I share my story in varying degrees. That day you happened to catch me on a day where there was somebody I could just feel was open to hear the whole story. You know, they were open to not just This was a grief journey, but I lost my brother to suicide and that that was why the affirmations were so important to me. You know, reaching somebody where they needed to be reached was so important to me. I also, you know, I sometimes just say, you know, I started painting in the middle of a grief journey or sometimes I say I lost my brother and don't include the bit about suicide. It depends. And I never used to think I was an empath, but, um, I had somebody tell me that I am. And when I'm in those conversations, I realize it more and more because I can read whether they can handle the whole conversation or not. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. It's interesting when you talk about being empathetic. And this is something that came up. I went to the first Beauty Boost event that I've ever been to last night. And I I had expectations for myself that then I panicked and didn't fall through on, which was interesting (laughs) because I was like, I want to meet all these new people. And I did meet new people and I'm so excited and I'm going to say hi to everyone. And then I got there and I was like, (laughs) Like, and I feel like people in different situations, it's interesting being a consumer at an event. I Mm -hmm. gave myself the challenge of just going to the event and not being a vendor or being almost on that stage. And I feel like once you take away the table, And once you take away and we sit down and have a conversation, it can be so different than the narrative that's almost scripted. And no matter how genuine it is, but that we give to other people. 
so it seems like you've experienced that and it seems like that yeah. is more common than we might be led to believe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I recently was at the bins, Goodwill. Um, How do you do? Okay. The bins kind of freak me out. The bins freak everybody all, out. It sounds like the bends, like B-E-N-D-S, like when you go the scuba bins. diving and come up way too fast. So every time I'm like, you got the bins. Where'd you go? The Bahamas? <laughs> I mean, oh, they okay. freak everybody out. Okay. If you're not freaked out by the bins, you probably have something you should talk about in therapy. You're a creature. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the bins are a hardcore way of going thrifting. So they bring out literal bins of clothes blankets shoes god knows what i don't know how they decide what's in them i wish i did i need to get behind the scenes of the bins but yeah, i'm like do they sort the bins after people go through them Are i they think lower they value? sort i think they sort the stuff that comes in and like stuff that is clearly in the best shape they take to goodwill like the retail side and then stuff that I don't want to say stuff that's questionable, but I think they just kind of throw because they do it by the pound. Right. Because I know people will come, vintage t-shirt people will come from other states and buy clothes by the pound. And I know people who this is their entire business Mm -hmm. where they go there and they pick out shirts and things that might be overlooked where they find crazy things. Absolutely. I could see that. Zoya just got this crazy like aztec very Arizona-looking patagonia shirt that looked like it hadn't even been worn wow so they have craft things there well i was looking for secret i was looking for a dictionary oh so i'm making these book earrings but i had this idea to do some like dictionary earrings that have like certain words on them i haven't like totally i don't have all the kinks worked out yet i've made a couple but obviously they won't be the same word if it's from the dictionary because it's only in there once Mm -hmm. but like if somebody had like power and i don't know i don't know how i'll do it yet but that's what i'm working on now cool yeah you should do some weird words for me just something strange i actually had a coworker have her daughter pick some so that i could like make a prototype pair and she picked um flamboyant pterodactyl and i was in i was game i was like yes let's do it full body chills i hope you are getting photos of those i did not take photos (laughs) i didn't take photos they weren't they weren't my favorite but they were a prototype pair and she was super happy with them so i will definitely be making more and i'm gonna do weird words i've even thought about like doing a bunch of the same size and shape so that I could just have like, I don't know, 12 earrings up there with different words and let people pick their own words. That is a great idea. Yeah. So we'll see. I love a good dictionary. I would imagine those are easy question mark to find. You would think. We didn't find it until the last minute leaving the bins. I found so many. I found like old hymns, which I thought were cool. So I grabbed those. We'll see. Mm -hmm. I don't know. We'll see how it turns out. And then I found some like old books book earrings that I have currently like they weren't old books actually funny story they're the 50 shades series Um, (laughs) but it's what I had so I they don't look worn and so I took like a stamp pad and a brush and I like brushed like a vintagey look on them so they look worn and old that's super cool I'm thinking in my brain I'm like you could do like different language dictionaries Ooh. and that could appeal to people you know like translation yeah. dictionaries or a thesaurus that would be interesting that could be fun yeah and i'm i'm playing with do i include the definition do i not like do i do a big earring do i do a medium set so we, we're still working out the kinks but i 
I scoured for this dictionary. <laughs> scoured. Do you see your future being jewelry and bookmarks? Um, I don't think I ever want to do it full time. So I've done photography as a hobby and I did a couple of like senior photos. I did like a family of mine, like a wedding for a family member. And every time I had to do it, it took the fun out of it for me. Mm. And I think that's my ADHD. But so I think anytime it's like a necessity versus like I'm doing it because I want to, I think that ruins things for me. If at some point it gets to a point where I don't have to work a job, then maybe I'll do, I don't know. But I think that's pretty far off. Not Mm -hmm. to like discredit myself, but I think like we have things we want to do. And so even if it got to a point where like I was making that much money, I don't think I would quit my job just yet. (laughs) What are the signs of not enjoying it? Like what are some of those signs where you're like, you know, I I'm I'm not interested in doing this full time. I mean, procrastination for me, like there have been projects that I've been asked to do. And if I don't start them right away, mm-hmm. it's not something I want to do. And I've done them. I do them. And I always get it within my deadline. But procrastination, if I'm not, if I'm putting it off or if I'm like, oh, I don't have time, mm, I probably, <laughs> I probably don't want to do it. And, you know, with photography, for me, it, that's exactly what happened. Like, oh, I don't feel like editing. Right. Oh, I don't, you know. Do I have to do this? Or or the editing process would feel like it was taking too long or like it wasn't good enough or I don't know. And the so, stubborn inner child. The inner yes. child is like, no, send me to the corner. Yes. <laughs> I yes. love that. And I love with how feeling you are and how heart forward you are that you're also able to then be realistic of, you know, that doesn't feel right to me, but this does. Or I enjoy having a mix of things or how do you stay fresh in your creativity if you feel like you're getting into that space of I'm procrastinating I feel like I'm hitting a wall what do you do to overcome that I play with something new so like the dictionary probably was a and like that was an outcome because of that I'm Mm -hmm. sure um well I love that then you should get frustrated more often (laughs) I know right yeah so I'll play with something new and one of the other things that I'm doing right now is realizing you know, the ADHD tends to make me make like one or two of something and then I'm like on to the next thing. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to, I hate the term mass production. I really do because it feels automated, but I know what I do isn't automated. So I'm trying to mass produce things so that I have like a bunch of something. It doesn't mean it has to live in my shop forever, but it makes it easier to use Etsy. It makes it easier to like stock, uh, stock it at a show. And so I'm trying to do more of that. Because making one of something is a lot more energy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> making one of something and then somebody's like, oh, you don't have more of these. And I'm like, oh. So I'm learning that that is the best way to go. And while you're in that zone of sitting down for five hours yes. and losing track of time, you might as well make more. And, and that makes sense. And yeah. all of your pieces are unique. But it seems like your creative process comes in waves. Yeah, it does. And so I have a bunch of, and I can show you before you leave, but I have a bunch of like cups of things that I've started where <laughs> I put, I was like, yep, that's enough for today. And I stick that in a cup so that it's ready to go for when I'm got the headspace to do that next step. But at least I've started it. And so, okay, that gives me enough fuel to like start a new. I don't like putting earrings together. Like I love making them, but then assembling them, I'm like, (laughs) and the pliers are always in the way. Like I have four different pair and none of them are like what I want ever. So yeah, the jump ring like falls on the floor under something and I'm like, oh God, why? (laughs) 
So I'll like, okay, you have to assemble 10 pairs of earrings and then you can do something else. Mm-hmm. You got to play tricks with your ADHD. Yeah. And that child, like, you know, I truly believe that all of us have a three-year-old in our brain. Oh, yeah. Where you have to, I'm not above bribery. Bribery works. I'm not above just being like, Lee, get it together. There have been so many times when I'm recording solo episodes where I'm like, just be real. And you're like, okay. <sighs> now we're going to have another cup it. of coffee when this is done. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, I, I'm not against bribery with myself. Right. And I wish more people would lean into that idea of you don't have to be perfect. It can be messy, like we talked about. And you can find what works for yourself. And just enjoy every second of it. Mm-hmm. I like how you set yourself up for success and how you don't abandon projects just because you've moved on in your brain. You know that there's a time. It's almost like it's tabled. Mm-hmm. That there's a time you can just visit the cups. and Sometimes I just go through the cups on my desk like, what do I want to do today? Mm-hmm. What do I have started? <laughs> have there been days where you don't create? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have a, time, a, a very consuming job. Uh, my day job is very consuming and so I come home sometimes and I'll be honest like I am a perfectionist which has been difficult in creating but also it's very difficult to give myself days off so there are days where I have to force myself to just not do anything watch tv whatever I read a lot of audiobooks because I like to read but I don't get a lot of well I don't get a lot of sit down time. It'll encourage me to create if I'm listening to something. Yeah, I have to have, I definitely have to have days. There are also weeks where I do nothing but create. Mm-hmm. I'll come home from work and I don't even change my clothes. Zoya's like, you're working with resin. Please change. <laughs> Good for Zoya. Yeah, I know. But I will. I'll get ready to go somewhere and then come sit over here. She's like, uh, no, excuse me. Hello. Use your brain. Yeah. <laughs> with an art form that started as your mindfulness and does still serve as mm-hmm. your form of mindfulness. It's refreshing to hear that you allow those ebbs and flows to happen. I've done that where I won't create for then three or four days and I kind of go insane. It's like if you don't go to the gym for a week and Mm -hmm. then you just want to like kill everybody. And so do you ever find that that's the case or do you come back just refreshed and ready? Do you get frustrated if there are ever times when you can't create? Yeah, I... I think so. I think I probably experienced that. That's probably what was happening a few weeks ago when I was just in a funk. Work was, you know, I was having to stay late and go in early and I wasn't making it. I didn't make it to therapy that week. Just when I got home, I was tired or I had to put away laundry or whatever the case may be. And so I don't know that I always realize that's what it is, right? Just like right before that time of the month comes on, you're like, ah, it comes and you're like, oh, I knew I wasn't crazy. Um, <laughs> like, I don't think I realized in the moment that's what the problem was. But then I'll sit here for five hours one day and be like, oh, I just had to make some earrings. It's fine. Yes. Yeah. That's a very real thing. And so I, I wonder how many makers out there encounter that where they've this is something that they did that they it was their form of mindfulness, mm-hmm. which means, means that they did it for hours and hours and hours. And then by nature, they got really good at it. Sure. And then someone was like, hey, I'll give you a hundred bucks for that. And then now it's the thing that they monetize. And so I think that's really healthy for people to hear just because, you know, to go back to that space and also just take things feel more. Yeah. Yeah. So about feeling, one of the things that I've had the hardest time with has been pricing because I've had moments where I wasn't perfect at what I was doing. I made mistakes or I still felt like earrings were worth selling, but I maybe didn't feel like I had put the best work into them or I don't know, whatever, you know, whatever that monster may be that day. 
And I was like, do I still price these how I would normally? Like what a, when I first started doing the watercolor earrings, they're my highest priced item. They take a lot of time. Mm-hmm. They're a lot of focus. I have to paint the sheet. I have to let it dry. If there's anything else that needs to be done to it, I then do it once it's dry. Then that has to dry. If I'm doing stamps or whatever, then that has to dry. You know, then I have to cut the shapes out. Then I have to put them in pairs, <laughs> uh, which is harder than you would think it is because I'm cutting them out of a sheet. So yep. no two are the same. Mm-hmm. So I have to decide which go together, which is <sighs> it's, it's stressful part of the process. It's like matching and sorting. Yeah. I mean, it is. It, and it's part of the process, right? And is it going to make it or break it necessarily if I have two earrings that don't go perfectly together? No, but ideally it's still, I mean, people are paying me to make the right decision. Like this is stressful. Mm-hmm. I may need to like, cut them down or shape them better or whatever then they need resin on both sides resin doesn't just cure in a minute resin is messy resin doesn't always stay on the item (laughs) then sometimes you've got to like sand the resin down on the edges depending on how it dries you then you have to drill a hole the hole has to be in the right spot. Then you've got to do, you know, the jump rings and whatever findings you put on there. And <laughs> all of the why things. You don't so like the jump rings, it's the last step of like 12 million. <sighs> I know. <laughs> so, and it's not to the fault of our customers, but I think our customers forget like that they're, it, it's several days. It's not, I don't make a pair of earrings in a night. Have I made a pair of earrings in a night? Yes. In several hours and mm-hmm. a lot of insanity, you know, but it doesn't all happen in a night. And I think that's what our customers forget. And even if it does, that's still six hours of our time or or whatever amount of time you spent on that set of earrings. So pricing. Yeah, and I think that's important. I like that you talk about the level of accountability that comes in a pricing structure, mm-hmm. not only for them to pay the price that you set, but for you to deliver. Mm-hmm. And so if someone, it's, I mean, I'm a bead worker, so there's no real secret there. That stuff is investment is the way I'd like to frame it. But and time consuming. Exactly. Someone will come and they're like, they, they think something's beautiful. And then they turn it around. They go, whoa. And you're like, well, yeah, it's just eight hours of my life. Like, no. One pair of earrings. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I like, though, that you talk about people expecting you to make the right decision mm-hmm. is what I heard. And I think it's interesting. I had an experience at a show and a woman wanted to buy a pair of earrings. And I said, well, full honesty, these are a prototype. I don't mm. intend to sell them. They have some flaws. And I thought it was really interesting. She said, she looked at her friend. She goes, girl, show me the flaws. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> and she said, I will give you 10 minutes to fix those flaws. And how much cash am I giving you? And I, it was a huge learning moment yeah. for me because we pick things apart a lot. And where we see things, you know, I was like, well, this one actually is structural. Like I wore them and I broke them when yeah. I was testing the prototype. So I'm going to need more than 10 minutes. But she ended up buying them. We changed out the hooks. She loved them. She wears them to this day. She emails me all the time about, or texts me all the time about the compliments she gets. But it's interesting that we're artists feel so much accountability with that price structure when they set a price that honors their process. Absolutely. One of the other things that jumps out at me, and I still talk about this, even though it happened like at my first market, the items that you like, I don't want to say hate, right? Because you wouldn't put it on your table if you hate it. Um, I see that in you that like that same characteristic that I have where I'm like, Mm -hmm. "Mm, if it's a quality issue, I'm not putting it out. But the items that you're like, meh, those Mm -hmm. are always the ones that go first, right? Mm -hmm. 
or whatever, you didn't bust your ass on the last 48 hours. Yes. Like you you <laughs> spent Thursday and Friday making a bunch of stuff that you were like, oh, this is so great. I love this. Mm-hmm. And you were expecting it to sell out at the show. And then you sold like your thing from two years ago. And you're like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> it always happens because I have jewelry and candles. So yes. after I got really comfortable with my skill set in jewelry and knew that I was able to then grow, not comfortable and that I'm not growing, but I knew that that was my thing. And then I started making candles and it'll be like, I'll pour candles for a week and then I'll take them to a show and I'll sell all jewelry or I'll stay up all night making jewelry and then I'll sell out on candles. And I'm like, what in the world? It's interesting. I feel that because there will be some times that I sell a bunch of bookmarks and I'm reminded like, oh gosh, yeah, I have to keep up on the bookmark inventory because I'll get really, you know, jewelry focused and then I'll make a bunch of bookmarks and then they don't touch them for the next two markets. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right, sounds good. <laughs> no bookmarks. So with people who are, and not that that's, you know, that's supply and demand. It's not oh, necessarily yeah. a reactive mindset. But with people who create in waves, the way that you've described, mm-hmm. I've often, I've experienced this because I'm very similar. I'll get really latched onto something and then move forward. And it's the same medium, but it's all different. And mm-hmm. I'm still trying to figure out how to make it all work on a table. But with people who tend to create in waves, par levels and things of like, I need a minimum amount of this inventory can sometimes be difficult on the business side. Do you have like a minimum amount of product that you'll bring at any no. time? You just flow with it. Um, this is my product bin right here. It's huge. Yeah. I love it. So you're good to go for a while. (laughs) I bring everything. I do have some smaller pieces that have been doing pretty well recently. They're very simple, bold colors, but simple earring that I make sure I have two of everything. But no, I don't have a minimum that I bring. And my setup is never the same twice. I don't know if you have that same. That's pretty cool. So tell me about that. Where did that come from? Uh, (laughs) Not planning. I don't know. Um... That's cool, though. That's like a thing now. Yeah, I I don't ever set up the same way twice. It might have similar, like I have similar components where I have like a big crate that always is on its side so I can have my packaging materials behind it. Mm -hmm. But no, I just kind of am like, looks like this is going to go good today. And I try to now that I have like watercolor earrings and book earrings, I have adopted a different setup. So where I have like a little stack of books as like a display one of the markets you were at, I had like books that I was selling. Yes, that was one of the very first ones. I don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. If somebody wants one of the books on my display, I'll sell it. But I, first of all, I was always concerned that books were going to get ruined. I do a lot of outdoor markets. Stressful. Rain, wind. I was like, I can't. And they're used books, but I still don't want them getting ruined. It's a lot to carry and I already have a lot to carry. So I don't want to carry books. They're heavy. Mm-hmm. That's like everyone loves having a library until they have to move. Yes. Yes. And then so I have my book earrings by my book display now. And then I have like my gummy bear and like stud earrings on a separate side. And then the bookmarks are kind of in the middle. So is there anything that we haven't discussed or anywhere where you want to go a little bit deeper? Anything you wanted to highlight? Supporting other makers. So um, I post a lot about supporting other makers because that's really important for me, which is part of the reason that I was, you know, really excited to do this podcast because mm-hmm. like I'm wearing Gina's earrings today I wear my own earrings of course but I'm, I'm wearing Gina's earrings today I wear Becca's from Botanical Tortoise Co I have some from 
I don't think I have anything from Appalachian clay, but I have some from like Hagel clay. You're burning some one others. of Offset Clarity's candles. I am. I'm, I'm burning <laughs> Offset Clarity's candles. And we have several of her candles. And I like to like do periodic like maker shout outs on my page. I don't have that many followers, so sorry, but <laughs> I do. I do. I like to do little um, shout outs around holidays and stuff. I like to, these are the people you should shop with and that kind of thing. It's super important to me. And I have been in spaces where I don't feel that same love, but that's almost why I feel like it needs to be done because there are people out there who aren't giving that love to other makers. And I do think it is, like you said, a scarcity mindset where it's like, oh, if, if they get those customers, I won't. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, I, I want you to win. Mm-hmm. And I also want you to want me to win. Right. And in order to get other people to want you to win, you have to give that love. Like you just mm-hmm. have to, even if they're not giving it back. And so that's really important for me. There's a saying that everyone wants you to win until you're winning more mm-hmm. than they are. And people want you to do well until you're doing better than they are. And so I wonder if that's too, as a quote, new maker, who someone's new in the space, if that's part of what you've encountered. Here's someone, oh, I want her to win. I want her to do well. Oh my God, but not that well. Mm-hmm. And so I like that you are the change that you want to see. Like, And it's for as cliche as it sounds, I think cliches exist for a reason. I do truly believe that. And that you're leading by example. You're leading from the front. Like you said, one of your characteristics is you are a strong leader. Mm-hmm. And that is going to set you apart. You feel love from certain makers. You've felt, I can tell certain people have made a profound impact on your journey Absolutely. because you've already mentioned them, you know, like 12 times in the first minute. Yes. It's wonderful. And you in turn want to give back. What do you feel the most impactful way that you've poured into other people is thus far? I mean, I think sharing their content or, you know, Mm -hmm. if you're wearing their thing and I get it. Like if you're an earring maker, exclusively an earring maker, you, you may not have the ability to go out and wear somebody else's earrings. Sure. But sharing their content, like, wow, look at what this person is doing, Mm -hmm. especially because variety and and difference, all of that is what makes a community. Mm -hmm. And I think Asheville is so like, that's what Asheville is about. Mm -hmm. And we all live in this area. So like, I want to embrace that personally, and I'm not Mm -hmm. from Asheville. So (laughs) (laughs) but it's one of the things I love about this area Mm -hmm. is that like, everybody is so different. And you know, one of the first bookmarks I made said, stay weird. Like I don't want to fit in. Mm -hmm. I want to be a part of the same space, but I don't want to fit in that bubble. Mm -hmm. I just don't. I don't want to fit into a mold. I never have. And so you, you have to love on other people and it doesn't have to be in a monetary way. Just Mm -hmm. share their stuff, talk about them, tell other people about them at markets, pointing them out like Mm -hmm. that. It's so important. Key takeaways. Number one, connection is currency. Brittany has ways that she clearly defines success. If she makes quality connections, including a few more followers on social media and five good conversations, she considers this a win when she's at a market. Putting the right people around her is a priority for her, both in her life and in business. Number two, It can be tempting to undervalue yourself as a new maker and feel like you're too much for people or spaces. Just because you're a new maker doesn't mean you're not worth it. We all experience imposter syndrome as we grow and change, no matter how long you've been in the game. Number three, 
Take time to hone in on your brand. Clear out what doesn't feel right and pay attention to your focus when you're in the figuring it out phase. What does your inner child have to say? Listen to your intuition. Have fun, stay curious. Everyone deserves to let their inner child play. Number four, know how you operate and work with that. Sometimes you have to coach yourself. That inner child we talked about can be a little bit unruly. Set reasonable expectations and realistic goals for yourself so that you're also setting yourself up for success. Number five, support, 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 support. (laughs) Building a community based off of love and support is how you win in a way that you are proud of. Make connections, share content, buy the earrings. Supporting your fellow maker will never go out of style.